0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHD or its management. Your radio doctor does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on your radio doctor. Always consult your own physician. Today's
1: program has been pre-recorded.
2: In the fight against COVID-19, we are grateful to those treating the disease, but there are others too at the bedside and in the hallway, in the store and on the bus, from the delivery route to the mailbox. They are doing their part to keep our region running. These aren't just essential workers, they are our family, friends, and neighbors. For more, visit ibx.com COVID-19. Together, we will beat COVID 19.
0: Talk radio 1210. WPHD, WPHD, HD, WOGL, HD3, Philadelphia. dot radio.com station. From the Malamut and Associates Law Studios, it's time for the Delaware Valley's first radio doctor. On call every Sunday morning at 10. This is your radio doctor with Dr. Marianne
2: Ritchie. Presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross. Listen,
1: seven months or ten months is an absolutely exceptional, exceptionally short time frame to produce this vaccine. Your health determines your life, your longevity, and your happiness. Let your radio doctor lead the way with your
0: medical education. Your radio doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie.
2: Good morning, and welcome to Your Radio Doctor. I'm your host, Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Today, our focus on wellness continues. Last week, we talked about routine well visits with pediatricians, and this week we'll discuss family medicine. In the 1800s, the doctor went to people's homes. He knew his patients well, delivered babies, set fractures, did surgery, and helped the dying. In the 1900s, most medical school grads went into general practice. They were skilled in maternal and child care and surgery. But after World War II, advances in technology led to increase in specialties. Then came the 1960s, a time of social awareness and radical changes in society. The goal? Every American should have a personal physician for integration and continuity of all medical services and family practice was born. Even now, 60 years later, the U.S. depends on family physicians more than any other specialty. Family medicine provides comprehensive medical care to patients of all ages and backgrounds. And today, we welcome two of the finest family practice physicians in the city and beyond. Both are professors from the Department of Family and Community Medicine at Thomas Jefferson University Hospital. First we'll hear from Dr. George Valco, the former Chair and current Interim Chair of Family Medicine, and then Dr. Mark Altscholler, Director of the Family Medicine Residency Program. A very special welcome to my colleague and friend, Dr. George Valco, fellow Beagle lover. (laughs) Hello, George, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks,
0: Marianne, and thanks for the introduction.
2: Yes, you deserve an even bigger one. George, let's start with explaining to our listeners how we define primary care.
0: Yeah, it has uh, many definitions, but the one I like to to describe it is as uh, clinicians who, uh, doctors or even MPs who provide the first contact for for persons with undiagnosed health concerns as well as comprehensive continuous care of uh, various medical conditions versus secondary or tertiary care with a subspecialist or those requiring uh, uh, hospitalization. Uh, It's not emergency room care uh, which um, most people should not be going to and it's not urgent care although uh, primary care does uh, acute care problems like I have a rash or I have a bad shoulder or I'm having chest pain. But we also to uh, treat chronic problems over the continuum, Uh, diabetes, heart disease, AIDS. Uh, And a big part of uh, primary care is uh, wellness and prevention, uh, to keep you healthy and free of disease. Uh, We look at your health history, we look at your family's history to see if there's any risk factors we can identify that uh, will uh, inform us of uh, conditions that may happen to you. Uh, We perform screenings, for blood pressure, for diabetes, for cholesterol. Uh, We offer vaccinations, uh, and we uh, 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 talk about uh, lifestyle changes we can help you make to prevent illness in in the future. Um, And we also try to inform you of uh, different issues that are coming up. A big, you know, as everybody knows, it's COVID. We get a ton of questions on COVID. Uh, how to how to protect myself? How to protect my family? What to do when I got it? I I have it. What do I do now? What about the vaccine? All those issues come up uh, in a primary care uh, uh, office
2: setting. And I think that's uh, one of the reasons why it's so great that you call your department family and community medicine, because medicine is being delivered in the community and certainly what goes on in the community affects individual patients, as you say. And uh, and as you say, George, you're performing screenings for cancers, but those issues that are silent killers, like blood pressure that's out of control, most of the time, when people have elevated blood pressure, they don't feel it. Maybe they're feeling something else, like anxiety or, uh, you know, pain, or something that drives their pressure up. But if somebody happens just to have high blood pressure, they're not necessarily going to feel it. Correct. That's
0: correct. Uh, it's it is called yeah. the silent killer because over time, it does affect your heart, it does affect your kidneys, it affects your it affects your brain. So uh, uh, those are all are, are all. Uh, uh, you know the the endpoints of uh, uh, undiagnosed and untreated high blood pressure.
2: Sure. So, if someone were to ask you, what is the difference between a family medicine doctor and an internist? How would you describe that?
0: We we get that all the time. Um, uh, you know, there, it, for internal medicine, internal medicine trained there are general like, like you you opened up with general practitioners, uh, uh, but. Uh, family medicine and general practitioners, uh, uh, unlike the old where you used to finish medical school and hang up a shingle, maybe work with a, uh, a doctor uh, to get some training, these are specialties. They, they take a residency program which may last uh, three or more years. Internal medicine tends to go into subspecialties such as cardiologists or gastroenterologists like yourself, uh, Marianne. Woohoo! Um, but uh, in, in, but we're, internal medicine is, is uh, really uh, focused on, uh, on adult medicine, those 18 and older, uh, as in peds, are, are usually birth to 18 years old. Family medicine uh, cares for people of all ages. We're trained in uh, uh, OB care and delivering babies and taking care of uh, 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 pr- uh, moms who are pregnant, uh, uh, delivering the babies uh, taking care of those babies through their uh, uh, their growth uh, all the way up through uh, old age and geriatrics we're, we're trained in uh, in some uh, minor surgical uh, can, uh, uh, techniques uh, psych, uh, psychiatry uh, ophthalmology urology all those uh, are part of our training. Uh, and then the other thing with family medicine is we're, we, we take care of the whole family. I have generations. I started off with, with uh, uh, parents who had, had kids, took care of their kids, and now take care of the grandkids. So it's, it's across the, the, the generations, which add a lot to both the, you know, the family history and, and the ni- dynamics of, of the whole fa- uh, the family, but also it's, it provides a very rich uh, environment for us to, to have a, a conversation.
2: I agree, and that's what's so beautiful about it, that that everybody goes to Dr. Valco, grandmother, um, Aunt Sally, the children, and you know everyone, and they trust you, and they love you, and that um, entire family counts on you, so really, I guess we often use the expression, cradle to grave, but uh, that that they're under your care. And the other really neat thing about, especially a large group like the Family Medicine and Community Medicine at Jeff is it's a large group. So there are people or docs in your group that some of them do gynecology exams. Some of them uh, do extra training in sports medicine. And then you have a whole research department. Tell us about that in the last minute here.
0: Yeah, uh, we we research, our research tends not to be bench research, but the research on on delivering care on, on uh, we do clinical trials. We uh, are in process of doing COVID uh, vaccine trials in our department. So, uh, and as you mentioned, we do do sports medicine and, and, and research on sports medicine, geriatrics, palliative care, uh, those, those types of things.
2: Wonderful. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. George Valco from Jefferson. Thanks for listening to Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. If you have a question for the medical mailbag, just send a note to doctor at yourradiodoctor.net. And we're learning all the value of an annual physical with your family medicine doctor. George, is there a suggestion for uh, an algorithm or a chart of when we should start having an annual physical? by a certain age, or I guess depending on risk factors?
0: Yes, Uh, we follow uh, uh, various uh, national uh, societies, like uh, uh, there's the American Academy of Family uh, uh, Practitioners, there's the the gynecology group, the ACOG, uh, and and, uh, internal medicine has its uh, guidelines, and and also there's a national group called the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force. They all uh, have guidelines that are fairly similar uh, with some exceptions, exceptions about when to do certain tests on people, when to do an exam. Uh, for example, uh, I think you learned about PEDS last week, but, but uh, PEDS, uh, you, you see uh, kids uh, at various times during their growth to, to look at their development and, and also their vaccinations. As we get older, young adults and adolescents, they have their own uh, set of problems that, that we, we should talk, talk about. Uh, you know whether they're going into sports so sports physicals vaccinations for colleges, their own set of vaccinations and all, all, one thing I wanted to mention both in, in the younger group and in the adolescent group is to talk about social things like bullying and, and you know uh, and, and drug use and and harm reduction you know uh, big things of uh, drinking and driving uh, unprotected uh, sexual activity and, and those things are, are part of the, that part of the physical exam for that age group. As we get to be adults, we look at uh, family history. We want uh, to start to check on cholesterol. Uh, these are well people and, and if you have a family history, you might want to come in earlier, but every every several years uh, for somebody without uh, uh, overt medical problems, we like to have them come in for a checkup to, to, to look at those things and, and talk about things. You know, we talk about Alcohol use. We talk about stress at work, stress at home. Uh, those those things. There's there's nothing that we tr- uh, try not to. Uh, uh, we don't shy away from asking questions. That because if this question isn't asked, then, then then a patient may not want to bring it up themselves. They're embarrassed. So we tend to sure. be very uh, 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 go deep in in what what. Uh, uh, our history is for patients. So in the elderly, there's their own set of uh, vaccinations and, um, you know, like the shingle shot, the, the pneumonia shots. Uh, and, and if you're a grandparent, you want to make sure that you've uh, got your other dose of uh, shots against uh, uh, pertussis if you have uh, a new grandchild on, on the way. Uh, we counsel mm-hmm. on obesity, smoking sex, sex, uh, cessation, and then again, cancer screenings, which went to begin uh, various uh, uh, genders and age groups, uh, women, pap smears uh, and for mammograms, uh, uh, all, everybody with colonoscopies, big controversy about prostate screening and, and those types of things.
2: Yes. And again, the other thing, when you've gained somebody's trust, it's a delicate conversation to say when to stop screening when a person becomes older. And you talked about vaccinations before college and those people join in the service. And we talk about uh, risky behavior. How about texting while driving? And how about vaping? I think there's so I I have to do a whole show on vaping because I think a lot of people think it must be water with uh, um, nicotine in it. No, you know, the flavors and all those added uh, elements can really cause serious lung damage. So, George, I know you have been such a leader in family medicine nationally. Um, and, and I have to give you big old credit for being one of the first electronic uh, medical record systems. You started in 2005, long before other people had even uh, awakened to it. But now your other big uh, focuses on patient-centered medical homes tell us about that if you would
0: yep uh, that was uh, 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 they realized that healthcare um, is very very complex and in this day and age you know there's many moving parts to, to, to healthcare uh, it's not only the person in front of you but it's their their home life where they live their zip code in the city determines different uh, outcomes of their of their health uh, we as doctors can't do this all alone, it, it, it's so complex. They may need uh, psychiatrists, they may, may, uh, may need home uh, care, they may need uh, social workers, physical therapy, all those things that, that uh, we as a doctor can't really provide. So um, a, a patient-centered medical home is to help coordinate all that, that care into one spot. So if we send somebody to a cardiologist or a gastroenterologist, uh, then we, we have all those, uh, those records in one spot so we can deal with the family and, and maybe help explain things in a, in a different way, help uh, 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 give them advice on, on what to do, to do next. And again, we take a lot from our colleagues in, in the subspecialties. But, the, you know, the, but this is more of a, a one-off, this is a very coordinated Uh, care type of of setting and includes the family members you know the family is a big part uh, of this you know that because they're they're involved with this mom and dad uh, children uh, spouses that that may need all this so uh, it's it's a way to deliver care uh, that that patients can uh, go to it's not one-stop shopping it's just that they can they can trust a place to go to help them uh, get the to to uh, uh, go through this myriad, very complex healthcare system that we have.
2: Sure, and as you say, it, it should be culturally appropriate. And uh, other people have language barriers. They might uh, be the grandparents who uh, immigrated here and still are not um, able to understand really complicated explanations about their medications and such. And uh, of course, you, you and I know that we use language lines at work if we have a, a patient that comes that doesn't speak English or they, they understand, but you want to make sure they really um, appreciate the nuances of benefits and risks of medications or treatments. Um, but this sounds like a beautiful plant. Has this taken off? Is it, is it really starting to grow or is it still in its infancy? How is it oh, it's, developing? It's,
0: um, it's growing in, in, in different iterations. Uh, one of the things mm-hmm. is uh, at here at Jefferson we became part of a demonstration product for uh, uh, a demonstration project for the government and it's uh, since morphed into uh, and more and more care to to have more care at home uh, uh, and and take care of patients at home who can't get into the office whether that's home visits home care t- uh, talk about technology a little bit uh, but uh, those, those those types of things but a lot of it is making sure that uh, that there is a uh, uh, culturally competent care uh, you hear the 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 in the literature that uh, patients only retain 10 percent of their uh, what they hear at the visit and really you know it's you don't you're not there 24 hours but if you have a coordinated care that can follow up with a patient after a visit whether that's by uh, a nurse or a pharmacist uh, a pharmacologist uh, somebody who who will follow up to make sure that they are they they are taking things correctly. Follow up to make sure they did get their screening tests done that that were ordered or their blood tests that were ordered. Uh, those types of things that that we help patients. We have uh, home care coordinators that can go out to the house. We can get uh, people driven into certain sites. Those things are all uh, uh, helped by this. Uh, 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 a patient-centered medical home uh, concept
2: it's a brilliant plan and I'm sure there will be some um, uh, wrinkles to to address but once it becomes a habit and and it becomes more comfortable for primary care docs the care will be so much better and and of course you're right when even when I'm sitting in a doctor's chair and you know I'm the patient I mean, you don't hear everything either because you're nervous or because you think "Nah, that doesn't apply to me Mm -hmm. and um as you say when you have people to help interpret and remind you these are all such so the the listeners picture by mistake that this is a physical place it's a a virtual medical home. it's a virtual
0: medical home yes it's it's uh, it's it's where your doctor's office and it can be a big office it can be a small practitioner's office it's the idea of having this uh, ability to coordinate the care and make sure the patients are, are constantly uh, um, uh, being helped uh, uh, and their care coordination, whatever it is, is, is uh, right. going forward.
2: So it's a big chessboard with somebody's name on it and all the players right. coordinate through a central. That's Right, your, that's awesome. your primary
0: care physician, family doctor is the head of the team and, and, and mm-hmm. helps coordinate it with, with the help of the team.
2: And I think, too, what we've learned from electronic records is that we have little alerts that pop up, just like on your computer, uh, people of certain ages or people that have certain conditions that we're reminded, call this person, remind the person at their next visit that they need their mammogram or colonoscopy. That has been very helpful, and I'm sure you'll be able to incorporate that kind of um, signaling in the patient-centered medical homes. If people want to read about that, P-C-M-H. They can look that up. They can Google it. And maybe I think it's so important to remind patients to bring a question list when they come for their physical so they're prepared and they don't forget. Let's take a little break and we'll be right back with Dr. Mark Altshuler from Jefferson Family Medicine.
1: Today's edition of Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie, presented exclusively by Independence Blue Cross, can be enjoyed on Radio.com. Listen to the show at your convenience. Go to Radio.com and in the search bar, type in Your Radio Doctor. It's health education on demand.
2: And now we welcome Dr. Mark Altshuler, also a professor of family and community medicine from Jefferson University Hospital. Mark, welcome. So glad you're here.
1: Thank you, Marianne, for having me.
2: Mark, we all go through medical school fascinated by all the areas of practice, surgery. I remember watching the the first heart surgery as a student, and we see specialists take care of patients with cancer and deliver babies. How did you choose family medicine as your field of practice?
1: So that's a great question. So I grew up and I worshipped my pediatrician, actually, Dr. Porter, and I grew up telling my parents that I just want to be like Dr. Porter. And I was convinced that that's what I was going to do. Every job I had growing up was a counselor. I was even a nanny for two years after college because I figured that was a good way to learn about kids.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: I came to Jefferson for med school and I got involved with an organization called Jeff Hope, which is a student run organization that sets up medical clinics at different homeless shelters. And I started working at a women and children's shelter. um, And the faculty there were family medicine faculty. And I realized that. Why not just take care of kids? Why limit myself when I can take care of the entire family?
2: Exactly, and, and I'm sure you witnessed some very sad stories and health disparities, and you thought that would be the best way you could tr- contribute.
1: Sure, you know, it, I think when I um, first went out there, I was a little bit of, there was a little bit of shell shock, not knowing what some of our community members are going through, but mm-hmm. I spent um, almost four years of med school there, um, going out almost every week, really working with the urban underserved community in Northeast Philadelphia. And I realized that that's where my passion was. I wanted to take care of the most vulnerable patients in Philadelphia, and there was no better way to do it than family medicine, because I could take care of the entire family.
2: And we talked a little bit earlier with George Valco that that's the reason why we call it family and community medicine, because you're considering public health issues such as housing. And and we'll talk about this a little bit later, the the disparities in um, healthcare and the social determinants of health. These are not just words that we talk about in our lectures. It means, as you'll say, if you prescribe a medicine for somebody's blood pressure, but they can't afford it, or we say we have to improve your diet, but there's no grocery store in their neighborhood, we have to look beyond just the words and the, the prescriptions.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think one of the things that I've learned over the years working in that community, and now my work is really focused on the immigrant community, <clears throat> is that medicine is really just one piece of health. Um, and there are many other determinants that really dictate what someone's health outcomes are, you know, so you've mentioned a couple of them. But, you know, what does the neighborhood look like? Um, do they have access to parks or safe places to play outside. Um, you know, what kind of education are the individuals getting? Do they have access not only healthy foods, but in particular, my work is with the immigrant community. Do they have access to culturally appropriate foods? Um, you know, what are some of the social stressors they have? Um, how engaged are they in the community? Um, you know, who has jobs in the family? Do they have enough money to pay for heat and take care of everyone else? So there are so many different things that that really kind of make up, I think about it as multiple pieces of a pie. Health is one of them, but as you said, you know, we in medicine, we're, we're very good at writing prescriptions, but if a medicine is not affordable, or we make dietary recommendations, and there is not a grocery store in the neighborhood, and there's not something that's culturally appropriate, then how do we expect them to make any differences and improve?
2: Of course. Let's talk about Philadelphia because it's unique in the sense that it provides care for the underserved and immigrants in a special way. Can you tell us about that?
1: Sure. So when I, I became a faculty member in 2004, and was very honored to you know join this family medicine, family and community medicine department, and a couple of years later in 2007, we started working with a refugee resettlement agency called Nationality Services Center which was really sponsoring refugees from all parts of the world who were coming here due to persecution and they were resettling in Philadelphia, but they really didn't have great access to care. So we started off um, as a pilot seeing some patients in our office and we recognized that um, there was a great need with the refugee community to have access to care. At the same time, you know, as an academic family medicine physician who's someone, as you know, who works in an academic medical center I realized that this was also a great opportunity to teach all of our medical students and residents um, really what's going on in the world and how to provide culturally appropriate care to individuals who are from other countries. Um, So we started that work in 2007, and little by little, we um, spoke to other academic medical centers in Philadelphia to get similar refugee health clinics set up. And um, in 2010, we formed what's called the Philadelphia Refugee Health Collaborative, which basically meant that every refugee coming to Philadelphia was going to an academic medical center instead of going to a health center, which is how most refugees access care. And we were the first city in the country to do that. And because of our work, Jefferson was designated by the Center for Disease Control as a center of excellence for refugee health care.
2: So impressive. And you told me the other day when we were chatting that 19% of our population includes foreign-born individuals, and English is not their primary language. And so I think the language that our students and residents are probably most likely to encounter is Spanish. We've all gotten pretty good with, with Spanish, but there are so many other languages to consider. I was speaking to George earlier that we do have language lines. But it's, um, we're really fortunate when we have somebody in the office who knows how to interact right there and in person because the language line isn't always perfect either. Um, tell us, how did your dream become a reality? I know one of the things we talked about was a full-service center uh, that would incorporate the person in the context of their neighborhood, as you say, or if they have uh, cultural issues that... Um, make it more difficult to comply with the directions you give them. Tell us about the wonderful new WIS or VIS Wellness Center, at 9th and Mifflin. Sure.
1: Yeah. Um, so, you know, we, we had been doing this for, you know, a number of years and we realized that there were some limitations with what we could do. And as I said, there's a lot of things that we can do in the office. But the more I, I was working with the refugee community and the immigrant community, I realized you know, that there were many more things that were really, um, that was needed in order to really improve their health and wellness. Um, And, you know, in addition, um, the work that we were doing was taking care of refugees. And we realized that there was a much larger immigrant community in Philadelphia. As you know, Philadelphia is an incredible city and an incredible melting pot. And there were so many other immigrant groups out there that didn't have access to care. So we started um, talking with some of our community partners to say, you know, what we really need to do is not only provide healthcare, in, you know, in the hospital and in our academic medical offices, but we need to bring healthcare to the community. And if we're going to do that, it can't just be a doctor's office. We need to be partnered with community agencies so that we really become a one-stop shop for the community. And that way individuals can come in and they can see their healthcare provider, but they can also have access to a social worker, or maybe they can have a community health worker take them to the neighborhood store to find healthy foods. Or maybe they don't have insurance and we can have someone help them get set up with insurance. Or there may be legal issues, we can have legal there. Um, so we are gonna be opening uh, in the next month. It's called the Wyss Wellness Center. This is a health center that is gonna be in the historic Bach building in South Philadelphia. It's on 9th and Mifflin. We are partnering with a social services agency that's called CMAC. Um, and they've been serving the Southeast Asian community for well over 30 years and very highly respected. And we're going to work together as a team, in addition to many other community agencies um, that are very invested in this community to really improve the health and wellness of the larger immigrant community. So it's been a dream of mine for a number of years, and we need to put some paint and furniture and computers, and then we'll be up and running.
2: And just for our listeners, I mispronounced it because I have to brush up on my German, but it's spelled W I W I S S, but it's pronounced W-I-S-S, like Edelweiss. Um, yeah, it's actually
1: it's- W-Y-S-S. I, yes, it's oh, okay. W-Y-S-S. So my apologies for that. No
2: worries. Um, but it's, it's such an accomplishment to have coordinated all this and to see it come to fruition. And, and I think what I've learned from COVID, not just from interviewing people on the show, but as a practicing clinician, is the city is such a great partner. I'm sure they help you with different programs as well. The city of Philadelphia has the most wonderful programs um, and partners with so many um, Jefferson projects and, and other hospitals as well. Um, has an and Independence Blue Cross has a lot of great programs throughout the city as well um, Mark if, if listeners wanted to get involved either volunteer maybe to, to help with the painting or, or donate how would they reach you
1: um, well painting I think we're, we're, we're pretty yeah, good that. on but there <laughs> there are a lot of ways to get involved so thank you for asking um, people can go to Jefferson's giving website with, which is giving.jefferson.edu and if you were to search VIS WISS, W-I-S-S, you can make a donation. Um, another way of supporting our efforts are to go um, to really to support what CMAC does. And CMAC is S-E-A-M-A-A-C. They do a lot of incredible work, um, especially a lot of work on food insecurity. And we're really excited to be working together in this new partnership and hopefully to make a difference with not only the immigrant community, but the larger community in South Philadelphia.
2: Mark, you represent the embodiment of a truly giving, caring, loving doctor, and that you're looking at the whole person in context and how you can help them have a healthier, happier life. And uh, God bless you for your efforts. It's a beautiful project. Any way people can help you, if they want to visit giving.jefferson.edu, or they could always call 1-800-JEFF-NOW and ask for you, Dr. Mark Altschuler, or reach call me if you can't reach Dr. Altschuler, and I'll get you there. Thank you so much, Mark. Wonderful to have Thank you on the show.
1: Thank you, Marianne, for having me.
2: Your Radio Doctor with Dr. Marianne Ritchie is exclusively presented by Independence Blue Cross. Dr. Marianne will return, but first, a medical message from one of our partners. And we're in our final segment with Dr. George Valco. George, let's continue our discussion about patients, patient-centered medical homes, and technology that helps it come to fruition
0: uh, yes as you as you mentioned previously uh, about electronic medical records uh, as both you and I trained uh, we were on paper charts and and, and uh, patient center er, er, uh, uh, electronic medical records just started coming in into the late 90s early hundreds uh, uh, early 2000s but now they're becoming more and more sophisticated so we can look at patients' reg- uh, records if if they went to another hospital and had a test done. You know, in the past, it would take us forever to get a result back, and maybe we would have had to repeat a study uh, to, to find out. You know, what what had happened because it would take so long for us to, point. to find that. So, and it would also raise the cost of of medical care. You know, you're repeating tests that are, are redundant. But, but now uh, you know that's only one part of it. Now uh, we can reach patients at home or any place around the world uh, through telehealth and through technology. We've we have been doing this for a long time. Jefferson was one of the, the pioneers uh, uh, with uh, uh, telehealth uh, visits with patients and their families. But the COVID pandemic really put um, telehealth on, on the map. Uh, because patients were afraid to come out, they were afraid to, to to take public transportation. They were afraid to come to the doctor's office because they didn't know what was going on. So, uh, but with telehealth, you could reach these patients, do a you know, do a great history, uh, uh, talk to them about what's on their mind, and do some sort of physical exam uh, on the on the video. Show me your rash. Uh, show me where it hurts, that sort of thing, and, and help make it, uh, you know, inform some sort of diagnosis. Could renew meds, the family could be there if they, they wanted to talk uh, 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 about what's going on at home and, and that, that sort of thing. So, but also with technology, we can, we can monitor things better at home. We can monitor your blood pressure and push that into the uh, electronic medical record. We can monitor your, your, your blood sugar if you're diabetic, all those things. Uh, we've known for a long time the cardiologists have monitored um, patients with pacemakers. So this is just more and more technology that's helping us help the patient and, and keeping them safe at home, uh, especially during this time. And it's,
2: it's kind of neat, too. Yes, and it's kind of neat, too. In some respects, we get different and better information seeing a person in his or her environment, how they're interacting with their grandchildren or their their spouses and uh, you they say, oh, I'm fine, I don't have back pain. And then you see them say, could you walk from here to your sink? And you see that they have no um, railings or that kind of thing if they're uh, at at a fall risk. George, thank you so much for being with us today. I can't finish the show without saying that you and Mark Altshuler and I are all Jefferson grads. And uh, we know that Jefferson is one of the oldest medical schools in America, and we have our 200 year anniversary coming in a few years. All right, George, here's your bonus question. What is the oldest medical specialty known to medical
0: history? Surgery.
2: Did you say family (laughs) medicine? Yes, you're our winner. And what's the oldest medical school in the country? Do you know?
0: Uh, It's it's around the corner. University of Pennsylvania.
2: Yes. Thank you, Ben Franklin. So you get uh, points for that one. And the oldest medical school in the world is University of Bologna. Oh, it started in 10, 1088. Wow. And I wondered, you know, when I was little, my father used to buy bologna and sometimes it would say bologna on the package. <laughs> I wonder if that's where the expression you're full of bologna came from. Do you think so? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Copernicus went to University of Bologna. Ah. George, thank you. Beautiful information. If people want to reach you, 1-800-JEFF-NOW?
0: Correct. Absolutely. All right.
2: George, thank you so much.
0: Thank you very much, Mary I appreciate the time. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, Your Real Champion, presented by the Rothman Orthopedic Institute. I know you've got the heart of the champion.
2: And now for Your Real Champion, Nicholas Christock. I call this segment Fleece and Thank You. If you've ever been a patient in the hospital, you realize very quickly that it's not a hotel you want to revisit. For starters, you don't feel well, the mattress is stiff, and your roommate snores. Now imagine being a little child in the hospital. You might be there without your parents, you miss your friends and your doggie, and it's just plain scary. Maybe a nice, soft, comfy blanket with Spider-Man on it would make your hospital room a little warmer and a little more like home. Meet Nicholas Christock. He calls himself a socialpreneur and lives by the code, build, empower, and serve. Impressive young man. At the ripe old age of 29, he's a TEDx speaker and already has his own page on Wikipedia. Nicholas is a man of discipline and purpose. While playing Division I soccer in college, he was team captain, won an award as a student leader, and was the first student athlete to win the Human Relations Award given for his outstanding community service. He played professional soccer in Australia for two years, but still made time to volunteer and help start the world's first mobile laundry service for the homeless, then worked with Make-A-Wish, helping make the dreams of terminally ill children come true. He even got his teammates involved. He had already earned an MBA before he lived in Australia and searched his soul for a path while living abroad. He wanted to dedicate his life to nonprofit work. And when he came back to Michigan, it was his twin sister, Tara, a pediatric oncology nurse who turned the light on, a blanket. Her text suggested that he make a fleece blanket. Across the state of Michigan, 30,000 children are hospitalized in pediatric units and only one in six have a custom blanket to comfort them. So he founded the nonprofit Fleece and Thank You and inside of five years, He and his team of five people have raised close to a million dollars to purchase fleece to make 70,000 blankets for hospitalized children in 22 pediatric units across Michigan. And to increase the positive impact, he created an app that enables the donor to send a video message of support to the child or teen who can then send a message in return, which cultivates caring and kindness. Nick is now sharing his technology with other nonprofits so their donors can see the impact of their gifts. Nick calls himself a serial entrepreneur and servant leader, and his purpose is to build businesses that solve problems. In 2016, he founded the startup company Empathy 313, which makes technology solutions for social impact organizations. In 2018, he founded Crate of Good, a social impact subscription box. And in 2019, he founded Flockets.com, an apparel site that funds microloans for families with a child battling cancer. Every day is an opportunity to build blocks on the tower of social entrepreneurship and enterprise. Nick says, bringing comfort to those in need is the most rewarding work of my career. I get wildly excited when I connect someone to serving their greatest good and empower them with the tools to create a positive change. Fleece and Thank You is now hosting a page on its website to enable people to send messages of support and thanks to healthcare employees at the 22 Michigan hospitals it serves. I should add that a very significant member in the power team of five is Nick's wife, Sarah. These newlyweds just tied the knot in September. We wish you the same joy that you've brought to so many others. We salute you, Nick and Sarah Christock, your real champions. To volunteer, make a blanket, or give a gift, visit fleeceandthankyou.org. That's fleece, and thankyou.org. Tune in next week for more tips on maintaining your health and wellness. Our guest will be the highly respected Dr. Jack Endy, former chief of internal medicine at Penn Presbyterian Hospital, when we discuss routine well visits for adults. Listen to today's show and all of our shows on yourradiodr.net. Please, send us a story about your real champion from your family, community, or workplace. They deserve to be recognized. Send it to info at yourradiodoctor.net. Tomorrow is the day we celebrate the birthday of the Reverend Martin Luther King. To honor the memory of this great leader, join in on this day of service and volunteer in your community. The people you help will feel better, and so will you. Now, stay right here and listen for the King of Crooners, Frank Sinatra. And always remember that your health is your wealth.
1: Thanks for listening to your Radio Doctor, Dr. Marianne Ritchie, a Jacob Media Production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.